Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Society is breeding a new kind of criminal. It's also breeding a new kind of cop. Meet Cobra. He does the job nobody wants. Did you use unnecessary deadly force? I used everything I had. Do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. You think you would recognize me if you saw him again? The tall one? Yeah. The one that wants to kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him? Do what you do best. It's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the 1986 movie, Cobra. And at the end of my bit, we will talk with Keith Rochford, who will also chime in about this classic. (laughs) All right, the studio was Warner Brothers. The release date was May 23rd, 1986. The running time is 87 minutes. The rating is R. The budget was $25 million. And the box office was $49 million, make it the 15th most top-grossing film of 1986. However, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 14% rotten from 21 reviews. Roger Ebert didn't bother to give it a review, so I found a amusing article at the time from Washington Post writer Paul Adnacio, and this is his review. There's a vogue in Hollywood for admiring Sylvester Stallone which generally expresses itself in such wondrously duplicitous phrases as he really knows his audience, or he understands his own appeal, or in strongest form, he really knows how to make those kinds of movies. In fact, since Rocky, Stallone demonstrated that if it weren't for the cult of personality that has somehow grown or up around him, he'd be lucky to get jobs writing for T.J. Hooker. If this guy tripped over a print of Citizen Kane, he not only wouldn't know what it is, he'd hit somebody over the head with it. (laughs) Cobra, which Stallone wrote, his paw evident in his directing style as well, although George Cosmatos is credited, featured him as a cop named Marion Copretti, nicknamed for the snake, although there's no doubt that it's simply his Stallone-ness in thin disguise. The movie is such a textbook example of an exploitation cop movie that you can outline it like a schoolboy for easy reference. Number one, good man, bad system. There are these scenes lifted almost directly from Dirty Harry in which Cobra hollers at the namby-pambies who run the police department by the book while a crazed killing cult is on the loose. Number two, Bimbo is prey. 
Though a ridiculous happenstance, a fashion model, Bridget Nielsen, who is a real fashion model, witnesses a killing and becomes the next target of the killers. So Sly gallantly comes to her defense, which leads to, you know. Number three, it's Stallone at the top. <laughs> Poor Cobra, he's so busy catching psychos, no woman will put up with him. Now one will. Since Nielsen is Sly's wife, fans will recognize this trope as self-referential. Number four, fight in a warehouse. This scene has become de rigueur in contemporary thrillers. Sly kills the killers, impales the last killer on a giant hook, and sends them into a blast furnace. Now it's Miller time. Like Rocky IV, Cobra is larded with those close-ups of Stallone and more close-ups of still various weapons while they metallically chunk, clink, and clatter into place on the soundtrack. The soundtrack is so poorly mixed that between the music and the sound effects, you can't make out what Stallone is saying. This is a blessing. If you don't believe me, consider these examples of Stallone banter. To his partner. You know what your problem is? You're too violent. This guy <laughs> goes around shooting people to bits and ha <laughs> ha. And then he has the nerve to tell his partner he's too violent. To his girl. I always wanted a tougher name myself. Like what? Alice. Get it? Alice isn't a tough name at all. <laughs> to a crook. You're the disease, and I'm the cure. Other diseases, however, would be incurable. <laughs> Cobra at theaters is rated R and contains graphic violence, and that is the end of the review. All right, so Sylvester Stallone and Adam Sandler, their movies are like my kryptonite. If either actor releases a movie, I'm probably going to see it, and this was especially true about Stallone in the 80s and, and the early 90s. While I don't believe I'm the most gifted writer, the tagline for this movie poster is hilariously pathetic, which is, Crime is a disease, meet the cure. Really, is this the best that the studio could come up with? I mean, how about something like it? I just came up with this. His name is Cobra. Time to inject the venom. Then the ACDC song could play in the background during the movie trailer. They totally missed an opportunity. Where was I in 1986? That's right, I would think I was in third grade. case i was too young to actually see this in the theaters because it was rated r and my parents were good parents so i likely saw the watered down version a few years later on television but look i own over the top too so i'm a shameless stallone fanatic and however i find it entertaining as hell and its runtime is the sweet spot of 90 minutes this is cobra so i wish more films nowadays would follow this pattern because today even garbage is over two hours long because all these directors think they're the second coming of Francis Ford Coppola. And as our favorite, one of our favorite guests, Sarah, would say, these directors can go fuck themselves. So yes, while the film, film was panned by critics, it's kind of turned into a cult classic. It made money, and it was number one at the box office when it was released in its first week. However, that was likely based on Stallone's star power rather than the quality of the film. 
You remember the good old days when there was actually movie stars? Even crap films would do well if the right star is in it. That's not the case anymore. There are no major movie stars where you'll actually go see a movie simply because someone's in it. However, you'll go see a superhero movie if you're a superhero fan, but really it doesn't matter who's in the film because you're you're going to see the action and the superhero. You know, there are no more Schwarzeneggers and Stallones and Quinn Eastwoods and Charles Bronson's and, you know, Chuck Norris and all these where you basically go see them. All right, the main cast. Sylvester Stallone, of course, plays Marion Copretti. And as the reviewer pointed out, Stallone's star cachet was at an all-time high at this point. He had four hugely successful Rocky movies, and then the first Rambo entry, First Blood, really made him Hollywood royalty. And look, as much as I enjoyed Rhinestone from 1984, it wasn't really a successful movie for him. However, it's totally underrated in my book, and definitely check it out. We will be talking about it in the future. Brigitte Nielsen plays Ingrid, and Nielsen was a popular fashion model in the early 1980s and appeared in the sword and sorcery flick with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Red Sonia in 1985. Next, her huge break was as Ivan Drago's wife in Rocky IV. By then, Stallone was in a relationship with Nielsen, and this likely led to her easily landing the role of Ingrid in Cobra. But look, look, let's face it, real-life couple nepotism has been occurring for almost as long as movies started being made. Quinn Eastwood had his Sandra Locke phase, and Charles Bronson would cast Joe Ireland in his films, and, you know, the list goes on. St- Stallone actually married Nielsen during the shoot of this film. And then you get the supporting cast. You get Rainey Santoni, who plays Gonzalez. Santoni had been acting in TV and film since the early 1960s, but his big break was really as Clint Eastwood's partner, Chico, in the original Dirty Harry from 1971. He would go on to appear in tons of TV shows through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, always as a character actor. But his two most prominent movie roles were, of course, Dirty Harry and Cobra. Andrew Robinson plays Detective Monte, and like Santoni, Robinson is best known for playing the psycho killer in the original Dirty Harry. Nice connection there. Probably not done by chance. Uh, He, too, would remain a consistent actor in television, but would later appear as Larry in the 1987 film Hellraiser. Now, Robinson really didn't like the script of Cobra. He thought it was too weird, but... Kind of like Hellraiser, he took the job. He didn't think it was a coincidence that him and Randy Santoni were both cast in this film. Now, Robinson tells a story in which one of Stallone's bodyguards was seen whispering something to Stallone, and then all of a sudden, both Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen are jumping in a car and running away. At the time, Santoni had said to Robinson, I don't know about you motherfuckers, but I'm going where they're going. (laughs) As it turned out, it was a bomb scare that was a false alarm, but it showed who was the expendable talent and who wasn't. Robinson thought they went for an MTV crowd instead of a character development, and really it's nonstop action, though personally I think that's why this has kind of become a cult classic. Robinson's salary from this film basically paid for his house, he said. Alright, Brian Thompson plays the Night Slasher, and Cobra would be Thompson's big break, as he only had worked in TV in a small role as a punk in the original Terminator from 1984. He was thrilled to meet Rocky (laughs) during his audition, since he was a huge fan of the film series, His audition was mostly the final scene where the killer has Cobra at the warehouse. During his month-long audition and screen test, he was actually working at Universal Studios in the Conan the Barbarian tour, playing the Barbarian. The director was George Cosmatos, and even though Cosmatos is listed as the director, Stallone essentially directed the film, because whatever Stallone wanted ended up in the film. Think of it this way. If you're a basketball fan, it's like having LeBron James on your team and a person that's, quote you know, listed as the coach. However, LeBron is never coached, so the coach's title is essentially a figurehead. 
And I'm assuming Cosmatos was picked because he also quote-unquote directed Stallone the year prior in Rambo First Blood Part 2. Brian Thompson was not a fan of Cosmatos and calls him George Comatose. <laughs> All right, some some background to the making of this film. So if you watch the or if you listen to the Beverly Hills Cop episode we did, you'll know that Stallone was originally cast to play Axel Foley, which of course went to Eddie Murphy. However, he didn't Stallone didn't want to make an action comedy, and his rewrites would have cost Paramount six million dollars more to make. Therefore, Cobra is essentially the movie that Beverly Hills Cop might have been if Stallone had convinced Paramount to make the film he wanted. Now, this film is loosely based on the 1974 novel by Paula Gosling entitled A Running Duck. Sometimes it's called Fair Game. However, as I stated before, Stallone's original vision of Beverly Hills Cop is essentially what Cobra turned out to be. Originally, the script had the film take place in Seattle, and there was a scene that involved taking over uh, a ferry boat. That was replaced by the motorcycle gang scene at the end. Stallone had three bodyguards around him during the shoot, so the actors really didn't get to chat with him easily. Now, Brian Thompson eventually had a brief discussion with Stallone asking him about his character. For example, what is the reason this gang is indiscriminately killing people? Stallone replied, well, think of him like Hitler, which confused Brian Thompson even further. George P. Cosmatos didn't really do much directing, according to Thompson. Stallone basically directed Cosmatos. And then Stallone decided which shots were worth keeping or not. Until, that is, Stallone wasn't on the set, and then Cosmatos kind of became a tyrannical director. Alright, let's just get into the movie. In America, there's a burglary every 11 seconds. An armed robbery every 65 seconds. A violent crime every 25 seconds. A murder every 24 minutes in 250 rapes a day. Well, that was a fun intro. You realize how different Beverly Hills Cop was going to be. You see this group, possibly a cult, doing some ritual banging of axes together. And I'm pretty sure these guys are in the black hole at the Oakland Raiders games. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not really. Anyway, have fun in Las Vegas, guys. Everything is peaceful until this guy rides up on a motorcycle in a shopping center parking lot. You know the guy is bad because he parks in a handicapped space. Only scumbags really do this. And I'm not trying, I'm not joking either. Don't do this. It's a scumbag move. All right, so this guy's character in the name of the credits is Supermarket Killer, and he's played by Marco Rodriguez. He kind of looks like John Cave from Steppenwolf. Born to be wild, bitches! Anyway, he walks in, and hes he looks like he's on dope, as they would say, or the dope. And so he decides to pull out a shotgun and starts shooting up the grocery store and takes everyone hostage. And sadly, nowadays, we're almost desensitized to this sort of madness, but this seemed like kind of rare back in 1986. So Rodriguez originally read for the part of the Psycho Killer, which went to Brian Thompson. But he had a different type of crazy look, and he was mostly a TV actor. And his working name was jokingly referred to as the disease because this is the scene where Cobra says that. This was actually shot in a real supermarket. This wasn't a set. So Stallone would often improvise and throw in more lines, which makes sense since Stallone kind of wrote the screenplay as well. 
The supermarket scene works so well because the food sort of acts like a prop, whether it be the explosions from the gunshots or having the killer be stabbed and shot and falling over the packages of meat. It's sort of fitting to the massacre of a, you know all of it. And right around the same time of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, this was kind of, it, it, was, it was sort of fitting. And Quentin Tarantino actually remembered Rodriguez from Cobra when Rodriguez met him. All right, so we got to get the standard police standoff with a typical hostage negotiator. This is played by Andrew Robinson, as we said. Ironically, played the psycho killer in the original Dirty Harry from 1971. In any case, the supermarket killer can't be reasoned with and kills hostages for the fun of it. He says one guy can go, and then he shoots him in the back as he runs out. All right, so now it's time to call in Cobra, who drives his 1950 Mercury and has the license plate that reads... A-W-S-O-M-50, which is Awesome 50. This was Stallone's real car. I don't know if it was his real license plate. Stallone gets out of the car, and instead of a toothpick in his mouth, he has a match, because it's more badass, I guess? Anyway, another Dirty Harry Connections, Cobra's buddy on the force, of course, is Renny Santoni, who played Quinn Eastwood's partner, as we said, Chico in the original Dirty Harry. So I love Stallone's giant highway patrol glasses. They almost cover his entire face. It's like blue blockers. <laughs> then while trying to infiltrate the hostage area, Cobra decides to crack open a beer, which is a course, to toss over to a different direction in order to draw fire from this lunatic. But of course, he takes a swig of beer before tossing it because he's Cobra. And Cobra puts the gun in front of his pan. And of course, the gun has a Cobra logo on it. Hey, dirtbag, you're a lousy shot. There's a great line where he's like, the, the killer's like, hey, man, I'll kill her. I have a bomb. I'll blow up the place. And then Stallone says, go ahead. I don't shop here. <laughs> See, that's good stuff. I don't mind that. You wasted a kid for nothing. Now I think it's time to waste you. I got a bomb here. I'll kill her. I'll blow this whole place up. Go ahead. I don't shot her. Hey, just relax, amigo. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. I don't want to talk to you. Now you bring in the television cameras in here now. Come on, bring it in. Can't do that. Why? I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. I ain't no psycho, man. I'm a hero. You're looking at a fucking hunter. I'm a hero of the new world. You're a disease. And I'm the cure. Die! Drop it! All right, so he uh, diffuses his situation, and Stallone goes outside, and the reporters are asking him if he un used unnecessary deadly force. Are you kidding? Wait till you watch the movie. Swab by Miami Sound Machine plays, and it's a good song. It's an underrated, you know, 80s group. Working too hard, trying to make a living, hustling all day. I've had all that I can take. Gotta get 
There's a funny scene where some gangbangers are trying to act tough where Cobra parks his car. And Cobra says, that's bad for the guy's health, thinking he means a cigarette in the guy's mouth. And the guy replies, what is? And Cobra says, me. Then tears the guy's wife, Peter. (laughs) This is the kind of dialogue you get, folks. You see a nice Toys R Us commercial with Jeffrey the Giraffe is playing while Cobra cleans his gun at home. (laughs) Remember that, folks? Remember Jeffrey the Giraffe? Well, there's no more Toys R Us, really. Then you see the news about the serial killer named the Night Slasher. Art LaFleur is in this as a great character actor, and he's on the police force. And you might remember him in Field of Dreams during the baseball game scenes. He plays, plays Chick Gandle and tells Moonlight Graham not to wing at the pitcher. He also played the babe in the Sandlot. So Cobra is on the zombie squad, and Cobra believes that getting the job done by any means necessary, and the brass needs to play it by the book, so he's brought in to basically clean up the mess. Ingrid, Bridget Nielsen, is your classic wrong place at the wrong time person, and she drives by one of the murders taking place, and they see her license number. Of course, one of the cult members works as a police officer and can look where she, you know, look up where she lives by her license number, and this actress is Lee Garlington. Then we get one of the patented 80s montages, this one full of Cobra scouring the city and the psycho sharpening his knives and axes, while Ingrid is modeling for David Rash, who of course played Sledgehammer in that great spoof TV show that I love in the 1980s. All of this is going on while Angel in the City from Robert Tepper plays. This song is definitely not as good as No Easy Way Out from Rocky IV. The, the photo shoot is hilarious, and, and she's posing with robots and different wigs. I love 80s montages, and Stallone was the best at it. So the main killer's voice is, is very Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, and he's one of the creepiest bad guys I've ever seen. He always looks sweaty, and he kind of looks like early man. <laughs> he's a very pronounced jaw. And he uses this crazy-looking blade that has spikes on the handle. And so it's like, as Keith Rogers kind of mentioned, this this movie is a cross between like a thriller and, and a slasher film. Like, it didn't know what it really wanted to be. So Ingrid escapes, escapes an attack in her parking garage and ends up in the hospital and is put under protection by Cobra at a safe house, of course. And there's a great action scene where Cobra, Cobra is ambushed at his house and he goes full-on Rambo. You gotta love that. Again, this movie is full of one-liners. You can kind of see where Beverly Hills Cop was influenced, but they don't have the timing that Eddie Murphy would have done. One of the beefs about this movie is that it pretty much checks off all the boxes of most action films, like the reviewer said, and I realize this, but I still love it. Yes, there's the police chief yelling at Cobra for doing it his way, and there's car chases and a warehouse finale and other typical action scenes. 
But these are tried and true crowd pleasers, so why overthink? Okay, the next montage is driving Ingrid out of the city for her protection, and the song Feel the Heat from John Beauvoir, which who used to write for Kiss, as Keith Rocher will mention later. Uh, it's not a bad song, but it's very 80s.
They stop at a diner, and Ingrid is drowning her fries in ketchup, and Coper plays the jukebox, which is Bill Medley, Gladys Knight, playing Loving on, the Bar- Loving on Borrowed Time, which is the love theme from Cobra. They find out that Cobra can't get involved with a woman because she'd be in danger. It kind of sounds like Batman, <laughs> or Superman, or whatever superhero. There's an interesting conversation between Ingrid and Cobra. She asks, why can't they just put away these criminals for good? And then he says judges would let them out, so... Cobra needs to be brought in and do a little rough justice. So the showdown between the Psycho and Cobra is really good, actually, fight-wise. But there's a reason that the Neanderthal didn't have many many lines. He says pig about 20 times. Uh, I I like that they didn't draw out this scene too long, though. That's bleed, pig! Oh, you pig! Also, during the fight scene with Stallone, Lee Garlington first practiced her moves with a stunt coordinator for about 30 minutes just to get it down. She then asked Stallone if he wanted to rehearse just once, and he said, just do your best, and she kind of meekly agreed. Well, then they do the take, and she jumps on his back, and she just flattens him. Everyone on the set is just mortified, and then they do it again. The same thing happens during the next take, and then they finally did it one more time, and he agreed to rehearse. (laughs) You just see him Stallone throwing out his back because he thought he could handle it. So at the end of the movie, that uh, you know his car is like shot to shit, and uh, they won't fix it because it's not in the budget. <laughs> they spend a fortune trying to catch these guys. So the original script wasn't supposed to have Cobra punch Detective Monte. Uh, originally, Monte gets in an altercation with Cobra, and in the fracas, Monte's shirt is torn off, which then reveals a satanic tattoo which shows he would have been the lead of the gang all along. That would have made sense, because he was against Cobra from the beginning. However, once they got into the scene, Robinson mentioned to Stallone that he basically killed every, you know, he already killed everyone, so this reveal would almost be anticlimactic, and Stallone agreed. So so Stallone said, well, why don't I just punch you out? And that's what, <laughs> that's what they did. 
The final song is from John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, Voice of America Sons. It's parading the cruisers. All right, there's a lot of fun facts with this film. Uh, the girl that's held hostage in the grocery store was actually Stallone's niece. When he's uh, cutting his pizza, he's using scissors <laughs> when he's eating pizza. That's, of course, because he's Cobra. So a lot of this film was cut to avoid an X rating, mostly for violence. The first rough cut was over two hours long, and the closest estimate to the original running time is 130 minutes. So they must cut out a lot because it was less than 90 minutes. And here's some of the stuff they cut out. The first murder victim was having her throat cut and her hands severed. There's more dead bodies in the autopsy scene with lingering shots of naked and mutilated bodies of murdered women. The Order's day jobs as welders, carpenters, and fish market cleaners, which were originally part of the Angel in the Scene sequences, they were cut and replaced with the scenes of the Order doing routine workout ritual in the film's opening. There's an extended death scene for Ingrid's photographer, Dan, in which he is hit several more times with axes and attempts to escape, only to slip on his own blood and fall down in the puddle before being finished off with even more hits. The scene where the Night Slasher tries to kill Ingrid in the hospital was cut down for pacing and content. The deaths of the janitor and nurse were originally shown on screen, and a scene where the police guard outside of Ingrid's room is killed by the Night Slasher was also cut out. More scenes of the townspeople being killed during the climax, and uh, including a scene in which one is hit in the face with an axe. Two of the death scenes appeared in the 1990s version, TV version of the film, but with most of the graphic shots removed. Graphic close-up scenes of the Night Slasher's wound after he is impaled of the hook, that's cut out. Cobra repeatedly forces the hook deeper into the Night Slasher as he screams in pain. After the demise of the Night Slasher, Cobra and Ingrid leave the factory, but before they can exit, Countryside Police enter, wherein the sheriff demands from them of what took place in the factory. Alright, this was shot in a real hospital, which was difficult in order not to disturb their real patients. Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, I'm getting surgery! Well, no, we're filming uh, Cobra in a slasher film. Action is really good, and in a sense that they're not non-stop punches going on. Everything is to the point, which is to me is well done. During the car scene, car chase scenes, it's actually in various parts of California, but who cares about continuity, right? So John Wayne's real first name was Marion, so Marion Copretti was a nod to the Duke. All right, you might be wondering the body count. Well, 52 people were killed, 41 of whom were killed by Cobra. <laughs> Now you know why he was on the zombie squad. At one point during the filming, Sylvester Stallone complained to cinematographer Rick Waite that they were falling behind, and he said he and his crew needed to work harder. Waite responded by saying if Stallone would get his hands off Bridget Nielsen's ass and stop, and stop showing off to his bodyguards, maybe he wouldn't have problems with time. Stallone was shocked that somebody would talk to him that way, but he toned down his ego for a few weeks. In an interview, Wade said that Stallone had a great sense of humor despite his huge ego. He also confirmed a rumor that Stallone was the true director of the film, calling credit director George Cosmatos a good producer, but a bad director. Alright, so this film, yeah, if you're into Rocky, you're probably this isn't probably for you. If you're into Rambo, you're probably into this movie. And look, again, I love Stallone movies. I think this is entertaining. It's not meant to be the best film ever. It's typical of the canon films types of uh, movies that were put out at the time. So enjoy it for what it is. It's only it's less than 90 minutes of your life. And, you know, if you like action and, and that's not horror, but slasher type 80s movies, it's fun. They don't make movies like this anymore, maybe for good reason, but I don't care. I like the star power of it. So enjoy it. 
And uh, we were lucky enough to have Keith Rochford on. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this right now. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. We had him on last time for Beverly Hills Cop. And there is a connection because we're going to have Keith Rochford back for Cobra. Welcome back, Keith. Hey, Brian. How are you today? I'm great. I'm glad to have you on. And so, yes, there is a connection between Beverly Hills Cop and Cobra, and that is Stallone, who originally wanted to be and was cast to be in Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, A lot of the changes he made, uh, which didn't fit Beverly Hills Cop and eventually was too expensive, turned into Cobra. And so here we are two years later, and uh, Stallone got his movie. When was the first time you actually saw Cobra? Uh, probably after it came out on videotape, it was one of the ones that you would, you know, one of the most frequently rented. So you just try and get it as soon as you could to watch it. So you didn't see it on TV or cable or anything like that? No, I remember going to the video store and trying to rent it. Like when it first came out, so I didn't see it on cable. Uh, my parents were big Stallone fans since the Rocky movies and what is it? Paradise Alley and all that. So, oh yeah. Rambo. Uh, they weren't big Rambo fans. Okay. But now, they did, did like most of the other ones, though. Now, did you see Rhinestone? Uh, I've never seen Rhinestone. Oh, that's an underrated one. If you get a chance to watch it, uh, it's very campy, but I, I think it's incredibly underrated. And I love Dolly Parton, so. I've never seen that, but I have seen Oscar, and I do enjoy that one just because of the, the sheer absurdity of it. Yeah, him playing a role that he normally wouldn't play. Mm-hmm. So uh, throughout the years, have you has this been has Cobra been a movie you've revisited with the exception of me forcing you to watch it for this episode? Uh, I I haven't watched it all that frequently. I've got it on DVD on like a, a double feature thing with that and Tango and Cash. And I watch Tango and Cash more than Cobra. OK, yeah, I have the four disc one or it's not four discs. It's two discs with four movies. I think it's Tango and Cash, Co- Cobra, Over the Top and Demolition Man. Or and then it's actually instead of Cobra, it's um, oh, what was the one with Sharon the Stone? Uh, the Specialist. Yes, yes. So we'll we'll cover that one down the road, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just get right into it. So you just rewatched the movie. Does it hold up as well as a, a, when you were a kid, or is it is it better now, or how do you feel now now watching it? Um, it, overall, it did not hold up. Mm-hmm. It's I think back when I was a kid, you know, we're talking, I was 14 when it came out. So I probably saw it when I was 15 or 16. And at that point, you know, all right, it's cool. It's, it's violent. It's action, whatever. Watching it now, it's a good turn your brain off, have some popcorn, sit back and just, you know, kill an hour and a half of time. But if you're looking for a good story, this is definitely not the movie. And even the action and in the movie didn't really catch me as much as some of the other ones. So you can understand why Paramount didn't want to turn this <laughs> into Beverly Hills cop. Exactly. And some of the things that I, I, I was reading about it was like, there was a really much longer cut of the movie that went deeper into the characterization of, of Marion Cobretti, the Stallone character, as well as the backstory, the villains and to cut it into like a mainstream hour and a half movie, just what they cut and left on the floor just left so many holes of the movie as well. I just couldn't even follow what was the reasoning behind some of these characters. Right. And that's a good point. One, one positive thing I think of the movie, I'm, I'm a total hour and a half type of guy. So even if it's not great, at least it's only an hour and a half. So yeah, that's true. That That's very true. Like I, I recently watched uh, Aquaman with my wife and kids and it's like two hours plus And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a DC nut, but this is too much. And they're getting restless. 
Yeah, and I liked Aquaman too, but yeah, it could have been an hour and 50 minutes and, and been perfectly fine. Exactly, yep, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I really wish they would go back and just, you know, if you want to add all this stuff to the, to your bonus features on the Blu-ray to get people to buy, you know, like the, the extended cut, I think that's fine. But to release a movie that isn't, I don't know, the Godfather that's over, you know, a comedy being two and a half hours is just ridiculous. Jed Apatow was the biggest offender of that. So I really wish they would just release 90 minute movies, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. And uh, I'd be perfectly happy. I'm right there with you. I totally agree with that. So the other characters in the so did, did you like Stallone Elise or was it typical you know Stallone for you? It was your your typical Stallone type character, but I did I thought he looked extremely cool. I've always liked the way he looked on the cover of the movie and just yeah. his, his characterization of it. You know the sunglasses. Didn't quite understand the matchstick, but you know I I have a couple different ideas throughout the movie of one of the reasons of what they were trying to pull with this, and I have no idea, but. I always thought his his character was really cool. They could have did much more with it. But when I look back at it, I can see that the reason that his character was like that, it was just trying to fit in with the times of your Jean-Claude Van Damme, your your Arnold movies, your Chuck Norris movies. It was, your, your, it was his basically his his Dirty Harry and Death Wish movie. Yeah, exactly. I think that that totally nailed it. Uh, what about the side characters? So. We know nepotism always happens. You know, Clint Eastwood had his Sandra Locke period and Charles Bronson has his Joe Ireland period. This is the Bridget Nielsen era. <laughs> so uh, how did you feel about her as one of the main characters? I, I, I didn't really care for her too much in Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. So to have her as the, the romantic lead, uh, it didn't really do anything for me. I want to know how big the lifts were that they used for Stallone so he can look the same height as her. Yes, that's you're so right, because she's at least, oh, probably three or four inches taller than him. Oh, got to be even more than that. Yeah. Yeah, probably that was like, take, I would say close to a foot almost. You're uh, you're probably right. That was kind of like uh, Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Um, OK, there were some good side characters, though. So like his partner um, who was in the original Dirty Harry and then actually the uh, rogue detective who didn't like Cobra's tactics. He was the killer in Dirty Harry. So that was a nice connection. Oh, uh, Monty. Yes. Yes. The, yeah. I rec- I didn't realize that who it was at first until I'm watching. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from Hellraiser. That's right. And that too. That was <laughs> right. The year later he was in Hellraiser. Yeah. That's where I know him from. And then, uh, you know, it, it was interesting because you would think with such a psycho killer in this, the psycho killer, he looked he looked the part, but he really didn't. I don't know. I, I, how did you feel about that character? Uh, I, that, that would be part of the, the things that if they had more backstory, I would might, might've liked the movie a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't really know what this new world that right. he was trying to go for was besides clanging axes and tools together. <laughs> and then this night slasher thing that he was doing, he had a really cool, wicked looking knife and blade but what did that have to do with being the new world? And why was it four different, five different people that were supposedly doing this crime when it was really him? And like all of that really didn't make any sense. It was just like added names that they threw on that once they did the cutting, they didn't realize that there was no backstory to that. So it was just like your your weekly you know, episode from the Cobra TV show of here's what's going on this week for this victim that saw this crime. Right. <laughs> He did have some great one-liners that were cheesy as hell, like um, 
during the intro scene in the in the grocery store where he's like you know he's he's gonna shoot up the place or he's like all right i don't shop here anyway so yeah i I've, I've got that noted here i'm like i don't shop here and then we're not even 15 minutes into the movie and they've got the tagline already said you know the you're the disease i'm the cure exactly <laughs> there was there, the other one you have the right to remain silent when he burns the guy towards the end of the movie he had that one Yes, it's very Schwarzenegger-esque. That was the Schwarzenegger used to do that all the time too. Yeah, but for some reason, when he does it, it comes off funnier. It does but not, I, it's, not as cliche, I guess. I think it, it probably probably because of the accent, and he doesn't say much, and and things like that. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I'm like, the script had to be mostly directions on scene, and and you know, here's what you should look like, because there wasn't much dialogue. No, not at all. And I, I don't know if you did additional research, but the director was basically like, you know, a figurehead. Uh, Stallone was really the one that directed this film. And that's probably what led to, you know, this this movie being a little haphazard. Yeah, I did. I did read a couple different things about that, as well as it's it's loosely based off of a novel called Fair Game, which they eventually turned into a movie about 10 years later. Right. With Cindy Crawford and William Baldwin. Did you so see that, that? I vaguely remember that movie. Um, yeah, I just remember them running through everything that they could possibly think of being chased by people. Yes, I remember. Yeah, the same thing. I, I think that was a rental, too. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a rental. Yeah, no like, theater. There's nothing else to rent. I, I guess I'll get this one. <laughs> That's right. Hellraiser's out and Cobra's out. So Yeah, yeah, and I can't find Animalized Live Uncensored. Somebody <laughs> else has got that, so I I'm, guess I'm renting fair game. I, I, we'll, we'll delve into Kiss here. How many times did you rent that that movie? Oh, I I rented it as many times as my mom and dad would let me until one of my friends had us two VCRs and then we rented it and copied it. And you finally copied it. I wish they released it on DVD. I've got a uh, bootleg of it. Okay. From, I don't know, Japan or something like that that I ordered for like 10 bucks. How is the quality? It's, it's pretty good, except it's got uh, Portuguese subtitles. Oh, that's interesting. But not huh. during the songs, just when Paul's talking. <laughs> well, yeah, because you definitely have to have his stage raps um, translated. <laughs> exactly, and, and especially with the whole nurse thing. Oh, Cause, boy. Because yeah. that's where that comes from. <laughs> oh, man, it's so bad. It's so bad. If, if people right now aren't KISS fans, you have no idea. What, go on YouTube and check out um, Animal Eyes. I think it's like live uncensored KISS from yep. like 1984. Exactly. So it, it's yep. it's quite a treat. Okay, speaking of music, let's get into the soundtrack. And uh, do you remember any songs from this? I do. I actually like um, one of them a lot, and that would be the Bruce Springsteen light version, you know, also known as John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Eddie and the Cruisers. That's right. Yes. Uh, I I remembered the Voice of America's Son because I mm-hmm. I remember buying that record because I was a big Eddie and the Cruisers fan, which made me like that band more. So their their next album I think was called uh, Things Are Tough All Over or something like that. So that was this song Voice of America Son was on that record as well. Okay. So I remember that and I didn't realize that it was in the movie until I rewatched it again and saw that it was the end credit song. Mm-hmm. So of course then I looked at the rest of the songs on the soundtrack and I didn't recognize any of the songs when I looked at it, but then watching the movie I heard some of them. And you could see Stallone's influence on the soundtrack because he had Robert Tepper in Rocky IV. No Easy Way no, Out. Yep. And then he had another song from him again on the, the soundtrack, which wasn't as good as No Easy Way Out. No, Angel then, in the City. Yeah. Yeah. And then tying into Kiss, you had John Beauvoir doing mm-hmm. Feel the Heat. That's right. 
for those who that don't follow Kiss, he wrote a bunch of songs with them and Ghost Ghost played based on the last the uh, eighty four and eighty five records that they recorded. So yeah, Animalize, Animalize, and Asylum because he right. was who, he's responsible for Who Wants to Be Lonely and also the one responsible for uh, All Night. That's right, <laughs> which is uh, All Night. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I did like the Miami Sound Machine song, the the Suave uh, song. That wasn't bad. And I just found out that y- you've seen Transformers the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So the the Stan Bush song, The Touch, which is kind of like the main theme in that, that was actually originally written for Cobra. Oh, okay. Which, that would have been interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, this this has been a lot of fun. Do you have any other, um, you know, thoughts and, and from watching the movie? And, and will you ever go back and watch this again? I don't know if I'd ever go back and watch it again. Uh, I mean, it's it's fun for the times but it, it doesn't really hold up for like one of the ones that you'd want to go back for entertainment value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i did find it funny i did a little a little bit more research on it and they said that um when it was originally sent into the ratings board it was given an x rating for the violence and that they had to keep cutting it and cutting it to get rid of the violence and kind of watching it just on the way they were trying to do things you besides being a dirty hairy movie you could see the influence of like trying to be more of like a slasher horror type movie. Like why is the nurse scared doing her rounds? Right. You know, why is he stabbing people as opposed to being this slasher type guy, you know, where he's slashing the throat of somebody and that's his main calling card and he's stabbing at people. And like, this is like all serial killer, you know, bad guy, Jason, Michael Myers type stuff. But then I thought about him like, all right, it's 86, 85 when this movie's being, you know, sent to the ratings board. You got the height of the PMRC, so everybody's cutting down on the violence and the sex and everything for that their kids are going to be, you know, exposed to. It's also, if I remember correctly, the height of, like, if you remember the Faces of Death movies that were yes. constantly being rented. Yep. And people cracking down on that, so that's why they were probably giving it that high rating so they couldn't go to the theaters and see stuff like that. Yeah, I think you totally nailed it. And, uh, yeah, it, all of that led to, I think, a very haphazard movie. Oh it, it, yeah, I mean, I'm, I just have all these different notes here. Like they never even explain what the zombie squad is. Right. That he's right. supposedly on. It, it's the 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 bottom of the barrel, the end of the line, or whatever his partner says. But what is it? It's basically a cop that gets to do anything that he wants, and there's no rules or retaliation or repercussions. Or he takes the jobs that nobody wants, and because he he just gets everything done. But yeah, you're right. They don't explain those things at all. No, they they don't explain that. They still you have no idea you know why he's involved with it, why he's the way he is. I, I think about it later. I'm like, yeah, people rag on him for some of the movies that he made later on, like The Specialist that you brought up. But even that has a better story than this one. Yeah, I, you know, as as much as we were ragging on 90 minute movies, this actually could have benefited from at least. 20 to 25 more minutes to get into some backstory well yeah even even like the first 25 minutes the 80s standard there's a movie montage in the first 25 minutes use that to give some backstory to any of this all it is is just showing clips of just randomness that's right and uh yeah stallone was the king of 80s montages man oh yeah yeah that's another way he can get another song in the movie so i might as well just ask you what is your all-time favorite stallone movie rocky the, which which one? Rocky, the original. The original, yeah. Yep. I think that one still holds up. I think as good as as anything. I can watch any of the first four at mm-hmm. any time. Uh, I was had, never a big Rambo fan, but okay. Even First Blood. 
I, I maybe if I rewatched it again, it's one of those I never went really back to all that often. I think that one holds up. I mean, it's it's definitely it, it's not cheesy. Uh, they don't get into um, a lot of it's just basically him. He barely talks in the film, so uh, the action is crazy, especially him in the woods. So I have to revisit that. I think I, I, I know people rave about that one. I never really got into the the first Blood or Rambo movies as much as the Rocky movies. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, I'm a, a more more of a Rocky fan, but I think First Blood's definitely worth revisiting. Two and three. Yeah, you don't have to. And but the one he the last one he did super, super violent. So I would say that one and, and First Blood are, are definitely worth watching. I'll check them out then. All right. Well, th- as always, Keith, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate right. it. No problem.
Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff, and yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!